If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about albums that we think are unsung classics, and then you guys tell us if you're right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Hi Dave. Hi there Mark, are we just going to talk to each other? Yeah. <laughs> this uh, episode. You've come back, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. This uh, is weirdly reminiscent of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's that, who are you? Um, Go your room. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for covering for me. Um, yeah, no, I'm back. You got nice. a fair amount of jogging done up and down the highways of Scotland from the sounds of those voice memos, man. <laughs> what was going on? Why so much traffic? I was just... That was a car park in Kilmarnock Hospital, <laughs> standing next to the bus stop. It's a hot highway. Hot highway. It's a hot highway. I actually, yeah, I nearly got in a fight driving to uh, Kilmarnock Hospital um, because a man undertook me and nearly took my front wing off. Oh, I hate it when they do that. It was on a fifty-mile-an-hour dual carriageway. I was in the sec. I was in the fast lane, about to overtake a car. I was doing about fifty-four miles an hour. And this guy just decides that he can undertake me and then rip out in front of me and then has to fucking break for a roundabout about 100 yards later. And he was so close to taking my front wing off, I was truly about to just fucking drive over him. And you forgot all about the hospital and you just followed him up the road. Yeah, I was so <laughs> tempted. I was like, oh, I don't really need to go and visit my un- poor, unwell uh, fiancé. I could just follow this man to his council house and then just run him over. <laughs> So uh, Scottish justice, folks. But you didn't Especially do that, in though. Kilmarnock. Yeah. In Kilmarnock, that's yeah, I know. Just an awesome Sunday. Just an awesome Sunday. Come on. <laughs> but um, it's nice to be back, and I haven't committed any felonies it's lately. Nice, so it's nice to have you back. And you, you always wear shirts and t-shirt, and it always feels more summery. So thanks. I mean, yeah, it is literally it. summer outside. It's twenty-two degrees. Nobody can take the piss out of me for not being prepared now. I mean, Spanish people mm. would, because to them that's cold. Well, so. yeah, that's true. <laughs> have jackets but, on. We have to undress like a pure goth. 
You are wearing all black, apart from a, a slight golden Billy Liar logo on your black t-shirt, and then you've got black and grey stripy socks. Black and grey stripy socks. I'm wearing a black hat. But your shoes are all black. Every you know, every the, every piece. Every piece. And my God, are your pants black? No. They're purple because I love Prince and I want to keep them close to my Bobby. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I was actually <laughs> going to say, if like, listeners should guess, they should write in and guess the colour of Mark's pants. Is that a new no. feature? <laughs> it's, it's a new feature. I think it'd be purple every time. I think so. And the winner, we will send you the pants. Purple oh, dear. pants. Mm-hmm. Purple pants. Uh, that's probably a song, right? Yeah. So does anybody want to know about me? Am I just... uh, yeah. How are you, Chris? We're getting there, fuck's sake. You're fine. Are you okay? He's just shrugging his shoulders. You're fine. Tell us all about your new your new old base that you just got back. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> you've got a nice haircut. That's like a fancy haircut, Chris. It wasn't particularly fancy, but it is a haircut. Yeah. Oh, I had to try and look respectable. It looks modern. <clears throat> I like your shirt as well. It's really nice. That's what court does to you. Um, yeah. I, I'm all right. Uh-huh. I'm a little bit, I'm still a little bit fuming from uh, Friday. I'm sure you guys heard all about it in the chat group. When I went to see the new Jim Jarmusch film in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. so bad. Is that the 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 zombie one? The dead don't die. Uh-huh. Looks won't die. In, won't. Well, okay, who cares? Um, it looks incredible. The trailer looked amazing. The I ca- thought the trailer looked shit. Oh well, okay. So there you go. You got better judgment than me. Um, it's fucking the one of the worst things I've seen in a long time. I heard that. I saw some bad reviews for it, and I was like, mm. and especially especially bad given. The people that are involved in yeah, it. Yeah, the cast is pretty How bad. Do you have to be top. to make them bad? And then I started thinking, has Jim Jarmusch done anything good? And yeah. I was like, well, Dead Man's pretty good. Ghost Dog's pretty good. Ghost Dog's fun, but it's kind of like a bit of a teenage thing. I think Broken Flowers is probably his best film. Yeah, it's a good film. Um, uh, I quite like the vampire one. It's fucking warm trash. It is absolute crap. That really, that really split up on you when it came out as well. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed bad. it. I enjoyed it. The way he's fucking shoehorned the band White Hills in there as well <laughs> is just hideous. And he, he does all kinds of similar things in this. Like he, he name checks himself during all these fourth wall breaks that it just doesn't need. It's just, it's fucking humming. You said that in an interview recently, he doesn't even like zombie films. <laughs> he doesn't like films, clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, I think like Dead Man and Broken Flowers must have been an accident. He's, he's fucking terrible because yeah, he's done about 14, 15 films And yeah. there's not really many no, that I'd want to terrible. see at all It's terrible But he's got this hipster coolness about him Yeah, he knows Courtney Love He knew yeah. Kurt Cobain and stuff, didn't he? Is yeah that, or is that And he's a musician as well, but um, yeah. Fuck yeah. him Oh well, I'm sorry that you had to go and see a shit film Yeah, it started my weekend off on a bad note But hey, we're doing this now, that's good We are I knew yeah. Kurt Cobain too Did you? Mm. I know a guy that's got Kurt Cobain's denim jacket Oh really? Mm. And a guy that's got Kurt Cobain's grandfather's pocket watch. Is that um, Dave Grohl? <laughs> <laughs> you mean Kurt Cobain's grandfather? Is that Dave Grohl? Dave Grohl's, no. a, Dave Grohl's pretty ubiquitous, yeah, but he's yeah, not so. Kurt Cobain's grandfather. Well, I take a time travel. We don't know. <laughs> we just don't know. If anybody's going to do it, it'll it's probably be him. Dave Grohl, yeah. yeah. He's cancelled now, so he can't go anywhere and do anything. I think ever he'll again. go back in time and stop himself getting caught for cheating. Sorry, Dave. You're trash. Ah, <sighs> fuck him. Cancel, oh, I made the cancel buzzer. I can press it. Yeah, oh, did you? he did. Yeah. Dave Grohl cancelled. Great. Oh, Thank yeah. You. Do you know who also could be cancelled? Who's that? Public Enemy. Well, maybe not Public Enemy, maybe Flavor Flav. Flav. And Professor Griff. And Professor Griff. Flav. 
Professor Flav. We have two people, flavor two people together there. <laughs> flavor um, Flav. So that was a, a good segue, though. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, what record are we doing this week? Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black. Yeah. And it is uh, our first record of the 90s, fourth album. This was the first record of the 90s. It was their first record of the 90s, <laughs> not the first record. I wonder, what the, I wonder what the first record of the yeah. 90s was. Yeah, I don't know. I bet it was an Iron Maiden album. It was also the first of uh, the puns in the title, really. Yeah. Mm. And then they got significantly worse from it's, here on. It's in. not a great name for no. an album. Uh, yeah, probably not. I don't know. Apocalypse. The enemy strikes yeah. black. That's great. Mm. <laughs> I like that. Apocalypse I mean, 91 doesn't really mean anything though. No, it doesn't. But I did um, tell you when it came out. That is true. So. <laughs> it's uh, Apocalypse, I mean, I suppose said in the right accent, 90 does kind of flow from now, but Apocalypse 91. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a reach, man. <laughs> so some, some may argue this was their last really good album, mm-hmm. which I will put forth in the next hour, probably. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's also the first album where the Bomb Squad kind of took a step back and were kind of more executive producers. Yeah. Uh, it was the last album to feature the Bomb Squad, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's an interesting... Well, I mean, it's interesting to... We'll talk about Public Enemy and hip-hop, um, but this record is an interesting sort of... I don't know, is it like an end of an era for them? Um, it's certainly marked the end of them as maybe like a vital musical force yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. this is the end of their heyday for sure i would say um i mean records two and three you know it takes a nation of millions to hold us back and uh, fear of black planet are rightly recognized as like absolute stone cold classics yeah well i mean like fear of the pan genre no matter what fear of a black planet is debatably the best rap album ever right One of the best, yeah. I think th- it takes a nation of millions as some prefer some of it over Fear of a Black Planet. You see, I think that makes it places better on lists, but it seems like a, a people kind of more invested in it are like Fear of a Black Planet is just untouchable. It's yeah. more cohesive as a as yeah. an album. I well, would say. actually, I think it's a really relevant comparison because one of the problems with this album is that it's quite not very cohesive. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and Fear in contrast to that is. So the opposite end of that spectrum, and and I think that uh, acted to the detriment of this this record. Yeah, well, there's a reason this for that record being that way as well, which we'll get into in a, yeah, in a minute. Yeah, said he wanted to, to to do that. He wanted to break it up in that way. Um, but as to whether or not that necessarily works all the time, I don't know. Um, it was interesting you said that this was like their relevance maybe winding down to some extent because. Mm. Obviously, a lot of my knowledge of this is going to be vicarious because I had to just sort of read about it and stuff. It's not something I'm massively invested in, albeit Public Enemy are one of the bands in this genre that I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. I just don't have a lot of knowledge about it. So I was trying to really listen to people who are very invested in the band. And some had kind of commented that a bit like KRS One. Mm-hmm. 
noisy boys. We can stand on the corner with a hat selling toys. It ain't about your bends. I hope it ain't about mine, my man. I be dissing in my freestyle rhyme. Chuck D wasn't a very adaptable rapper, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got one track and that's it. it. it was yeah. like, this is his thing, and unlike guys like maybe like Jay Z and stuff like that, who then jumped to genre to genre to try and stay relevant and took and board all these new trends and sort of, which was sometimes pretty crass. But yeah, Chuck D didn't really do that at all, and so the the scene left him behind. He seemed like a little bit of an anachronism, and I, I think yeah, maybe that played a part because. This this genre moved fast, you know. Yeah, exactly. And to release four records, you know, four and a half years. The old bum rush the show is, you know, still a very vital record. Taking those shorts, drinking with the metal of a couple of fours, while hearing that boom supplement the mix. You know, it's a bit rougher in the edges, but you know, fucking four, some great tunes on that. Four records with this steep a learning curve in four and a half years is astonishing. Yeah, like, exactly. To go from something that's because it's quite primitive, bum rush, mm-hmm. and then to get to this point, which is really quite polished, and yeah, you know, it's pretty wild that they did so much and such. What's really interesting? I mean, I suppose we'll talk about Public Enemy and their. Legacy. A shall, little bit. shall we talk about it just now, David? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's go for it. Let's then. do it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, how did you get into Public Enemy? Uh, Tony Hawk's. Oh yeah, classic. <laughs> Somebody had to mention it. Bring a noise. I mean, that that song is on this record. That that that, that version of Bring a Noise, which is uh-huh. completely superfluous. Like, who asked for this? Why does it exist? Nobody really knows. But, yeah, um, but fuck it, it's a great tune. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the original's better, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about the Anthrax version. Yeah. Like, who, why is this a thing? But um, yeah, I guess it always that when I when when I when I went back and started listening to them, it always flirted with having like rock influences in their music. I think mm-hmm. that's a testament to. Well, there's guitar in this as well. Yeah, yeah. There's and a they've lot, got lot a Slayer sample and it takes a nation. Yeah, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. And uh, they've, I think that's probably one of the reasons why they sounded so like they still kind of sound a bit timeless. Those first four records, because of that, like the Bomb Squad were very much. Um, I can't imagine how vast their back catalogue of music just generally must have been. Mm-hmm. You know, to pull samples from like what would it definitely would have been from vinyl, like that's insane. You know that, and how would they store in that? Would have been quite difficult with the, in the eighties as well. You can't just put on a hard drive. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, the four of them must have had like a huge amount of like huge depth of musical knowledge which is another reason why, why I think these four records stand out in the era they'd have custom cut vinyl would they not with the samples with the eventually that's the route you would go down but yeah. come on in the first record you can't afford that yeah that's true you know and that's probably why it takes a nation and fear of a black planet and pretty much everything up to the left which I guess was roughly the end of this record as well sounds a lot more polished because they're able to do that and then when you hit the live circuit, then it's all going to be on those on those custom cut vinyls anyway. But mm-hmm. at the time, it would have been like they used to do it in the late seventies, you know, when hip hop started to come to exist. They were just like cutting between records and just bringing like flight cases full of stuff with them, you know. And it's it's pretty crazy. So I mean, Public Enemy were 
it's difficult to underestimate how big a shift change they created in term, in you know American music and Western music. Mm-hmm. Um, they were more than just you know like sonically, but also politically and uh, aesthetically as well. They were just like the loudest, brashest mm-hmm. compared to you know what was going before. Yeah. So um, they were controversial as well, and yeah. they had uh, well not so much on Yo Bum Rush's show, but. They got quite political quite early on, had a real message, um, and obviously coming in the back of NWA as well. Mm-hmm. It was like a pretty thickened time for like political messaging. It was the new punk rock, you know, mm-hmm. people wanted something to kind of mm-hmm. latch on to. They wanted something that said something, because that was the whole point of the 80s was that most things said nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it, everybody's heard that trope about hip-hop at this point, being the new punk rock, but it really was. Like, it was exciting. It was a threat to the status quo. You see that from like later on. The, I mean, the Public Enemy albums, you almost assume that a PMRC parental advisory sticker's part of their design. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. it's so synonymous with the records. Like, it yeah. became like a badge of honour if you had that on your records mm-hmm. because it was like you showed you were actually edgy and a bit threatening to mm-hmm. the Reaganite conservative mindset, the kind of right-wing Christian purity that used to define the Republican Party back then, which weirdly is quite different now. They were uh, confrontational and they were unsettling for white America. Mm-hmm. And even though a lot of white kids get into them, I think that it speaks to the need for somebody to stand up and say something of of some substance. And they arrived and yeah, it was they, timely. They distilled it perfectly. Even just the name Public Enemy, the names of their records, you know, tracks like fight the power they were just like yeah we are what you fear mm-hmm. um, yeah. I'd, I'd heard that said that partly you know they were a victim of their own success and the consistency and sheer quality the first three four albums including this i guess they they basically like spent their clip like they used up so much material they covered so many topics they threw so many great ideas in um, so many awesome production techniques by the time they got to the end of just their fourth album they were like, That's like we're, it's almost unavoidable they were going to repeat themselves because mm-hmm. they'd done so much in the space of four albums it's like they made it really really hard for themselves kind of painted themselves into a corner by being so comprehensive and innovative and uh, yeah it takes a nation and fear of a black planet are both like 16 and 20 tracks long I think yeah, yeah. you know so I mean, obviously there's some skits in there are, you know, not full tracks, but it's like a band just overflowing with ideas. Yeah, and, and the subjects as well, they could, like, within those songs, there were so many difficult ideas that were being challenged in the space of, like, four and five minute songs, three minute mm-hmm. songs, you know, it's it's pretty amazing the abundance of issues that they managed to, to, to cover mm-hmm. within all of these things. And a lot of them are self-critical. I mean, I think Fear of a Black Planet is much more worldly in its scope. It's much yeah. more about... Uh, black identity uh, globally whereas Apocalypse 91 in a really brave move a lot of the focus of this is on the black community mm. self-policing the black community's oppression of itself um, there's a there's a line in it I think it's in Lost at Birth the opening track where he says I test the front row and Chuck D spoke about uh, I mean I can't remember all the lyrics obviously but um, people like standing watching the band that were ignorant and he really wanted to challenge the audience's own ignorance and their own objectification of themselves and there's so many bits in this album that say things that people within that community were a little bit whoa fuck okay yeah don't mind criticizing the man in the system but i didn't expect you to also criticize us and that's pretty amazing in mm-hmm. terms of bravery and shaking up your own crowd so again once you've done that like 
where else are you going? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of stuff. It's also really interesting to see how influential they are beyond that. Um, I was speaking to my pal, you know, Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, producer at the BBC, mm-hmm. uh, and he grew up, he was, you know, sort of mid-teens at the time of Public Enemy, and they are just what got him into music and what got him into politics, what got him into production, what got him into rapping, what got him into challenging the norms and thinking about the world, you know, in a, you know, progressive a way. way. In yeah. a critical way, yeah, exactly. He remembers seeing, I think they played Shut Him Down on the Jonathan Ross show in 1991, mm-hmm. and it was at 5 p.m. Yeah. in the afternoon, and it just fucking blew his mind. And, you know, and that's a wee Asian guy in Glasgow it's just getting their mind totally blown and reassessing the norms and that's what they did all over the place yeah the i think it's like, trick they pulled right is the fact they managed to get like mainstream success at the back of what is like you say like really challenging really difficult music like it's not even a lot of it isn't even that accessible when you think about the lyrical flow like because it's just so densely packed full of ideas so when you think about that kind of era anyway and by era i mean like the 20 25 years before that some of the most exciting bands uh, and even slightly after it, bands like Nirvana, the really outstanding bands that have aged the best were bands that, from a modern perspective, you're like, wow, it's amazing that they got so big because mm. they were actually seeing and doing stuff that was quite unsettling. I mean, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to even a very similar example, Nirvana, Jonathan Ross show, 5pm and, a, you know, a, yeah. and they went and did territorial pissings instead of lithium, yeah. ruined the place, wore dresses and then pissed off. And um, there was a real sense of... A lack of compromise, mm. but it was very rewarding and you felt like you were really getting something from these artists. You were learning something, you were kind of growing as a person with them. And I think we actually, it's maybe a sign of how jaded we are, but it seems surprising now yeah. to look back on that. Um, you know, I certainly don't think, see for example, I don't think talking about influences, um, I don't think Rage Against Machine would have existed without Public Enemy. And oh. even even though they're a rock band, mm-hmm. when you listen to Rage Against Machine trying to articulate Public Enemy, but in a live band setting... <laughs> It's astonishing how much they owe to it. And I know they've now ended up doing Profits of Rage and stuff. And, yeah. But it is amazing how big an overspill, even down to their bravery with their political content in Rage Against Machine, which set the scene for a lot of other bands. Yeah. Right, that all traces back to Public Enemy. Yeah. That's, that's What's interesting as well was on, I think it was on Friday, I think all weekend, uh, NTS radio station in London have um, had like a takeover by Warp Records because mm-hmm. I think it's their 30th anniversary 30th birthday warp um so they've had like guest sessions and artists coming in doing uh sets and blah 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 so you've had stuff like from apex twin and notecra and everything mm-hmm. but on friday afternoon there was a death grips 30 minute set basically or a 30 minute track that was put out and it was basically just harsh noise like you go and listen to it and it sounds like somebody actually putting on death grips and then scanning through it backwards at <laughs> double speed but it's it's absolutely fucking chaotic and ridiculous and it is just noise but you can listen to it and you can totally see you can see the lineage going back from the production on these first four public enemy records that have allowed that genre to get so warped pardon the pun and end up you know be, being capable of being either straight up hip-hop or straight up noise or all these things 
Public Enemy were a band that took all of these influences and created something that people could connect to on a weirdly mainstream level. It's incredible. I think also they've got that added advantage of an, a, t- a technical level and like a technician's musical level for like people that were into scratching and things like that. They were so interesting and the Bomb Squad guys were so good with production and there's a lot of steps forward in that respect mm-hmm. as well. You know, the size of the beats, the sounds of the records, like certainly from uh, Nation and Fear, the quality of the of of the audio was incredible and huge and bombastic and that was something that Once you'd set the bar that high, everybody following it had to match it, or they were like, "Well, it's good, but it doesn't sound as good as that." Mm. So I think these big acts sometimes sometimes people incrementally push genres onwards or push music production and music technology onwards, and then every so often somebody comes along and really punts it forward, like a, a by a big margin. And I think Public Enemy really did that. They they set the standards for a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm. I heard a really nice metaphor, by the way, for the first four records. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy was describing them as it's like uh, the seasons. He's like, because if you think of the bum rush show as being like spring. Yo, we got to get stupid. Yo, we got to let them know what time it is. You go Like very young, a bit naive, loads of like you know, promising shoots. It's a little bit green, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. in the sense that the production's okay, the lyrical content, something that's a bit uh, shallow at points. They they hadn't quite evolved to really, like, going head on at some of the more political things. There's, there's touches of it. But, yeah. you know, and then you've got the summer of their career. They bring out uh, Nation of Millions, which so many people love, as you said, it's disputed with them. It's maybe the best yeah. rap album of all time. About the gun. I wasn't licensed to have one. The minute they see I'm the epitome of public enemy Used abuse without clues I refuse to blow a fuse They even had it on the news Don't believe the hype And you've got the autumn where it's like a bit more experienced It's a bit like they're a bit more colour But the nights are getting a bit darker mm-hmm. And Fear of a Black Planet And then you've got Apocalypse 91, which is much darker and it's like into this winter thing where the, the lyrics are much more introverted and there's something a bit darker and... There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable until you reflect that for 200 years ships sailed carrying cargo and slaves. Man, man. Tonally, like subject matter, and also it's the closing of this amazing period of their careers and you know did, did was it Muse, uh, Muse that comes after it yeah Muse not, Music and yeah. a Message yeah yeah mm-hmm. so like, and it's a hard act to follow yeah. I mean to follow those albums is stunning it's and not a terrible record either no no and it's got good moments yeah. on it and so does um, so does stuff like He Got Game that's got some really he good You Got Game's a great soundtrack yeah, man it's got some really, really good, good stuff in it as well yeah. but I think it's interesting as well Chuck was it's a young man's game he was already quite old as a rapper, I mean, mm-hmm. the people that were in the scene were writing albums when they were like 16, 17 years old and he yeah, was already he was in his mid-20s. Late late yeah. mm-hmm. And 
you know, his dexterity started to, to, you know, diminish a little bit. It's demanding. You're on the road. You're playing all these shows. For for a guy doing something very energetic, as energetic as rap, it's it's going to affect you and it's going to affect the, and, uh, the quality of, of what you're putting out. And I think you can just hear him slowing down a little bit as mm. he gets as he gets past that point. That's kind of understandable, you know. You can't you can't keep it up at that rate forever. It's like football, you know. It's just one of those things. You're the law of nature, you know. Do you know, it's really weird, but there's some real parallels between this discography and the discography of the artist we're doing next week. Yeah, <laughs> like first four records, like fairly untouchable. Then they have some good stuff, you know, going on, but never really quite capture that youthful spirit. Yeah, interesting. I think there's a, there comes a point in their career though when they stop trying to capture that useful spirit. I think, um, like, because after after he got a game, there's a poison going on. Ah, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? And revolution and new world order. order. <laughs> new world order. Yeah. Which are yeah, some I mean, of these. Puns are quite bad. Was <laughs> a poison going on? Is it okay? But then a couple after, like River Revolution and uh, New World Order, Order. Sorry, God, it's just a horrible title. Are just not that good. By the way, the Public Enemy are constantly getting shit from the Anti Defamation League. Yeah, have you seen that? It's mm-hmm. like every time they bring out a pun name, um, Confrontation Camp was the name of that side project, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And just the the, the anti defamation league just fucking hate them. And to be fair, that guy Griff did say some pretty fucking yeah, yeah. anti Semitic things. But yeah, they, I mean, I think some of the other ones are a little bit of a stretch. Like you know, there's, there's a poisoning Swindler's going list. on and stuff like that. Swindler's lust, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just a good pun. I know it's on a heavy <laughs> subject, but it's a great pun. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, even Griff, like he was kicked out the band. The whole Griff thing is is understandable, but I think it also showed that maybe Chuck to you is not as. Maybe not as good a band leader as, as people thought he was. Because, you know, between that and then and then Flavor Flav making a lot of questionable decisions in his life as well, especially so around the time of his record, beating up his and, wife and being a, a, basically a drug addict and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I think... Uh, Can we call him Flavor Flav? Flavor Flav. <laughs> Flavor Flav. Flavio. I'd like to stick with it. Griff was, Griff was then brought back in and he's since reflected on it and saying, yeah, that was definitely an idea when I said that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's recanted, but, you know, he had to... Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, fuck, I mean, and uh, we've we've talked about it before. Within wokeness, there is a horrible trend for wokeness to go just too far. Mm-hmm. And if you are quite clued up on the American government and con- conspiracies and warmongering and war as a means to generate uh, or bolster the economy and all that shit, which is all absolutely true, that's not controversial. But then, so many people take it. The next step, and the next step, and they start getting into things, you know, like conspiracy theory, the Illuminati, and conspiracy theories. There's, mm. there's like a, there's a sensible level of skepticism, a well justified level of skepticism, and then there's the encroachment, and it, it was something that happened a lot back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I think only now, you know, twenty five years later, mm-hmm. we've really started to kind of bring that into focus and see where a lot of these hang ups came from, mm-hmm. where a lot of these kind of weird conspiracy theories actually originated and also yeah. reflect on how our well intentioned skepticism in- created some pretty unhealthy yeah, uh, side that, effects. I mean this was in a pre internet age. Yeah. So, you know, you got your conspiracy theories from word of mouth or the community, uh, the community or from books that you then couldn't then immediately cross reference with 
you know, a balanced counterpoint. Absolutely. Which yeah, you can also, online. This is also Not that anybody ever fucking does that, but you it's, know. It's also the era of talk radio, man. I think it's something that we didn't necessarily get as much over here, but in America, talk radio was huge, especially like the kind of central, you know, Midwestern talk radio explosion and the ownership of the radio stations by different sort of like right-wing groups or funding by right-wing groups and all of these crazy theories that started to spring up and then you had things like the, you know, the Waco siege and all mm. these different events that happened, Ruby Ridge, they they helped foster a really unhealthy conspiratorial narrative in America and it was it was probably as, as much if not more the left back then than it was the right. Um, but yeah, guys like Griff, you know, these kind of anti-Semitic tropes, these things about Jewish conspiracies in Israel, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, it's something that I think with hindsight, a lot of us probably, myself included, I'm like, I bought into a lot of stupid shit when I was younger mm-hmm. regarding like 9-11 and, or not bought into it, but I was like kind of swayed by it a bit or mm-hmm. the Iraq war and stuff. And I was like, well, you know what? It's, it's easy Jimmy to see that Jimmy. <laughs> I think it's important probably to explain what we're talking about because I don't think we've really explained what we mean. Like, so when Nation of the Millions came out, um, Professor Griff gave a series of interviews where he made some anti-Semitic and homophobic remarks. I have some quotes if you like them. Please. Go for it. Um, there's Hopefully no... people can quote us out of context here yeah. and just paint us as horrible <laughs> bastards. There's no place for gays when God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. It was for that sort of behaviour. And if the Palestinians took up arms, went into Israel and killed all the Jews, it'd be all right. Um, yeah, and slightly lacking nuance here. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, and he said a lot of other things as well around about that time. Um, he dared Jews to send their fag a little hitmen after him and raved about how these Jews financed his experiments on age on AIDS with black people in South Africa. And then he was sacked from the band, though not officially sacked. And Chuck D basically became the only person to ever do interviews for Public Enemy ever since. Mm. And see, you see, the last one in particular, the kind of like. Jews, the AIDS conspiracy, experiment in Africans, that is pretty fascinating because even when you destroyed the Foo Fighters Nexus, the mm. Dave Grohl Nexus, that was sort of the, the same thing. That was the tip of that. They said that AIDS was a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. It was this uh, non-lethal thing, you know, nurtured by pharmaceutical companies, big pharma, to sell drugs and to keep people docile and it was used to wipe out or ethnically cleanse. Like, it, even though that seems extreme, when you look at it in detail, you can see the basic... Not not understandable, but the, the, the logical steps that people mm-hmm. take on the slight sort of suspensions of disbelief they take to get down there. It's not like they make one jump yeah. one day to, oh man, AIDS is made up and it was engineered by Jews. You know, it's not like that. It's, it's, it's an incremental thing. And uh, Public Enemy is politically aware and as fascinating and challenging as they were, also strayed into that territory on a couple of occasions, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, they were righteously angry and sometimes righteously angry doesn't necessarily mean you fact check, you know. Well, I think there's... And I mean, this is only... You're still only 20 years after, you know, the civil rights movement. Not that it... You know, that doesn't make an excuse for anything, but they're kind of firing shots very wildly because they are correctly angry, and some of those shots are going to hit unintended or innocent targets. Yeah, I (laughs) mean, I think also there's an element of everybody's praising you to the high heavens for your awareness and your insight into the machinations of government in America. There's a tendency to maybe start to believe your own hype and they shouldn't, Mm. don't believe the hype. It's like they they took themselves a little bit too seriously and started pontificating on stuff that was maybe an overreach, you know? Yeah. Chuck, the person that interviewed him, he he then, Chuck then did an interview with him. And before he did that, he released a letter called To All Offend Concerned and Unconcerned, and announcing the departure of Griff. Mm. And he says in it, um, 
Black power is the only self-defence movement that counterattacks the system of white world supremacy, nor not white people or the religious sects that they choose. And later says in an interview, you can't talk about attacking racism and be racist. Uh, a lot of this, I think, context probably comes down to the fact that Griff was part of the Nation Islam, who are, you know, quite anti-Semitic, or can be quite anti-Semitic. Yeah, Louis Farrakhan's got, had these moments. Mm. Uh. And uh, apparently, well, then Chuck's also in the same, same interview, um, I don't even want to get into the religion game because I just think religion throughout the years has been a conspiracy by world leaders to trick people. So you can totally see even within like the band, he's like he's like the woke one. He's like he's actually an atheist. He's like, I, yeah, I can see where that's coming from. I don't, I can't defend it, but it kind of makes sense as to why he would say that because that's a nation of Islam thing. And he he did back nation of Islam at some point because he was saying they're the only, basically one of the only people, one of the only religious people that actually look out for black people. You know, like he's like, I believe that from a community point of view, they're doing a good thing. I think, like most religion, it's just manipulation. Yeah, they've done a and spread a lot of fucking real nonsense as well. A lot of real nonsense, man. It's, uh, it's scary, like how um, how influential they've been throughout the whole Black Panthers and Black Power movement. It was know? interesting that Malcolm X kind of withdrew from it somewhat mm-hmm. as well. Like he started to become quite disillusioned with their methods and their and their rhetoric. Yeah. So Griffith has since recanted what he said saying he was basically ignorant um, I think it's important to to note that the, the rest of the band didn't back what he said but that's kind of followed them and it's like you said the, the defam- anti-defamation league like have followed them like for years just looking for an excuse to jump <laughs> really, on them yeah. you know and and I guess that's what happens when somebody says something stupid some people are going to keep looking at you to make sure you they poured a bit of fuel in the fire with this as well um, what, what's the um, the track is it by the time I get to Arizona number 7 on this they released a video for that and the video it's to do with the fact that Arizona uh, it's a centre wasn't it he he wouldn't celebrate Martin Luther King it was well Arizona as a state withdrew Mm -hmm. their plans to celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday Mm -hmm. and so uh, they made a video which was basically a depiction of assassination of government officials by like sniper and car bombs and stuff and this was the video was like heavily censored uh, withdrawn banned and it was like but at this point Martin Luther King Day wasn't actually uh, a national holiday in the states yet Mm -hmm. that only happened a few years after Um, but yeah that video really played into the hands of people like the PMRC Tipper Gores thing you know (laughs) I mean by the way do do you know that um, the PMRC so the first track they, 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 they ever really concerned themselves with was Darling Nikki. Yeah. I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby, masturbating with a magazine. She said, How'd you like to waste some time? Um, which Prince is, track. A Prince track. Prince yeah, song, for yeah. anyone that's not familiar with it, which is pretty filthy it's, yeah it's pretty dirty it's a bit of it's a bit of stripper uh, I think but the story goes that Tipper Gore found her daughter listening to it in her bedroom and that was the first for the list oh and she assumed it because Prince was a good, a good god boy <laughs> a good god boy but he wasn't into <laughs> he wasn't into that filth pumping like fuck <laughs> even though he had a song called Head Into My Baby on his previous two records but you know like. <laughs> yeah. so, so that track included a really pretty amazing sort of counterproductive move from the PMRC they released a 15 track compilation of filthy music as they saw it and it's fucking brilliant <laughs> it's really good it's got Cindy Loper on it it's got a whole bunch of metal on it like some pretty like I think it's got like there's like some their Venom are on it um there's uh 
Mor- is it Morbid Angel? Is something like that is on it as well. It's like it's such a weird mix of stuff. Prince, Sheena Easton, Judas Priest, Easton. <laughs> Motley Crue, <laughs> Twisted S- Sister, Madonna, Wasp, Def Leppard, Merciful Fate, Merciful Black Fate. Sabbath, That's it. <laughs> uh, Venom, and Cindy Lauper. That sounds like a Fantastic Man playlist. But <laughs> yeah, no. Sex, 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 violence, sex, violence, language, sex, violence, sex, sex, language, violence, <laughs> drug and alcohol use, occult. Drug and alcohol <laughs> use, sex, occult, sex, stroke, masturbation. <laughs> the last one, Cindy Lover, yeah, and occult was the Venom one. It's about Satanism. That one was called the Filthy Fifteen. Exactly, and you should definitely get it. <laughs> should be a, there must be a Filthy Fifteen playlist. That has to be. Right? Yeah, it has to be there. Um, but yeah, so that that was like this big stupid thing they did, which was basically like advertising for all these great songs and bands. Um, also, the first rap or hip hop album to ever have a PMRC sticker. Was iced, iced tea. Uh, iced, iced tea. tea. <laughs> <laughs> it was afternoon tea. ICT song. <laughs> it was ICT scone. <laughs> the song rhyme pays. The album rhyme pays. I suppose uh, going back. Uh, to that track um, by the time I get to Arizona I mean we haven't really talked about the good political shit that you know Public Enemy became synonymous for Mm -hmm. and um Talking to Muslim, that was another thing that he said. He he said that he he would argue that um, he learned a lot more about uh, the civil rights movement through Public Enemy than he ever did in school, um, and that track alone led him down into reading the history of the whole thing and blah blah blah. So you know, once again, they're like a mainstream band opening the eyes of people in out with America that may not know the the history of the movement. It's really interesting, I think. There's probably two categories of political bands, right? There's the ones which do a lot of sloganeering and just say stuff and maybe sometimes have a good point and there's ones which are actually literate and actually demand you to go and find out more about it. Raging Against Machine being another good example. They had reading lists and a liner notes, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's a testament to the to the longevity of their records. What we're talking about is still relevant. Pertinent. Yeah. I so. mean, it, okay, I know he's potentially cancelled, but... Uh, for a different cause Moby was always good at that in terms of veganism and environmentalism and animals mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Uh, animal rights yeah um, yeah there are bands that really invest time in, in messaging as well and on Shut Em Down which is on this album Chuck D talks about um, he's got that line I like Nike but wait a minute in the neighbourhood supports so put some money in it and in actual interviews around this album he was even harsher on Nike and was you know talking about how you know they take 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 and it ended up that the company actually felt a backlash from the black community not buying them yeah and they started funding programs in black areas and and stuff like that you know and that's like you know basically come from one line that chuck d wrote in a song there's there's some amazing like wordplay in this set as well that that line kiki the kkk wears three-piece suits i've got that as well man pretty legendary yeah Yeah. um like message wise it's like it's got some really interesting ideas, but I've also heard some criticism of it. I know that in the in the plus side of it, even things like the concept of behind Lost at Birth, even uh, even though the 
the song itself maybe doesn't get into it, was kind of about the notion about being black and as soon as you're born in this sort of alien country, if you will, feeling like an intruder, finding out at an early age the story of your people, how you're not necessarily meant to be there, inverted commas, uh, that kind of sense of being lost and uh, away from your homeland, but then Chuck D sort of spinning that in a slightly more, a, a much more positive way, which was like the sense of rebirth as a new thing, mm-hmm. the, the notion of the African-American, like a new breed of black man, black woman, black people. That's that's a really interesting idea. The, the notion that on one hand you can perceive it as being like removed and ripped from this homeland, but on another hand you can say, no, we're a new thing. We're, we're, we're a... Yeah, the circumstances were awful, and they talk about slave ships. They talk about mm-hmm. rebel, like they talk about the similarities between uh, the penal system in America, uh, how it's basically just a way to get slave labor in a lot of states. Yeah, um, they they draw that comparison, and it still what, is. Yeah, like, still that's is. the funny thing about this record is you listen to this, the lyrics in this record and the themes are still so fucking relevant. <laughs> like nothing's changed. Absolutely. So I mean, I think insight like that is is fascinating. Um, uh, the, the it's great that they put a sort of positive interpretation on it in terms of taking pride in their their status as African-Americans. I also think they talk a bit about uh, drink and drinks marketing to the black community, poor communities, uh, drinks companies. One million ball bags. Yeah, yeah. sensing that the communities were poor and desperate and they could make a lot of money selling 40 ounces to these. You ever seen the film uh, Black Dynamite? Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. a, a, the the running thing about that that drink and that what's it called? Malt li- pa- pa- anaconda malt liquor. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That that whole thing is just like you know, a, a, like a kind of amusing on the the way that the drinks companies targeted black communities. James for anaconda malt liquor with a delectable combination of the finest bottles and hops. It's the only malt liquor that carries the seal of excellence from Uncle Sam himself. And when you pop the top, the panties drop. But by the same token, I think some some folks I heard co- uh, commenting on this album, um, people from the black community said that level of sanctimony started to grate with them a wee bit. Um, especially seeing as guys in the band had such serious, you know, substance mm. abuse problems. I suppose, um, but you could, uh, Chuck D would probably argue those like that's a result of being from a black community. Yeah, yeah. It's so fucking hot in here. Give us some money so we can buy an air conditioning unit. Thanks, bud. <laughs> this may be too quick. <laughs> They'll have to play that back. It's like the data blast at the end of uh, Games Master. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Used to record it and run it back and pause each screen to see what the, all the cheats and stuff that were flashing up. That's a blast from the past. I really like Games Master, actually. Yeah. It was yeah. fun. The dungeon. Dominic Diamond was yeah, here you well, know, he's, he's not a radio to. show in America, I think. Well, he's, he's certainly not subscribing to this podcast, which uh, is what he should be doing, because if he gave us money, we could use it. And we would know. We'd see it come through. Shaming him. If anybody knows his Twitter handle, get him to help. Get him to help. I don't know what his taste in music is like. They're not used to be a music journalist or something. I don't know what our taste yeah. in music is like. Well, I mean, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's a mystery now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that was a cash call. Thanks. Uh, unsungpod.net forward slash donate for the money. Do that thing, please. Cool. Peace. Cheers.
knows what he would say that. Should we talk about the record different then? Different balance to, to strike. Oh, okay. Do you want to go over the, bat, the, the last? No, no. The, talk about the record, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. And just straight off the bat, my favourite Public Enemy song is Lost at Birth. It's a, a really, really. I think it's up there. Song. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. fucking love this track. Yeah, it's, I just love that repeated motif approach. It's yeah. so good in that that siren. Vibe yeah, that goes but through. like the siren is in a minor key and downbeat and sounds a little bit angrier rather than just a sort of your average just a siren. Mm. There's something about it that just sounds a bit more intense straight away as well. That that you can t- like the the production like you know it's different straight away. It gets sounds different from the last three records and uh. You could say a good way, but it's like a completely different production yeah. sound. Well, one different. thing we haven't mentioned is the fact that prior to this record, they lost all their tapes. Yeah. Um, and they basically had a million ideas that had been, you know, they'd been taken from, from the first three records. So this record was kind of shaped by the fact that they lost all this data. This It's kind of weird. I don't quite know what the story is because they said at first they were like, it got stolen. And then they were like, well, no, it didn't really get stolen. It got lifted from the studio. So I don't know if somebody just accidentally took took a big bunch of dat tapes or something. I don't know how it that's, works. Yeah, that's weird. But it sounds really weird. But they've never like accused anybody of it. And they definitely changed, changed it from sounding like it was, a, you know, a crime to, you know, an accident um it's maybe somewhere in between but and that kind of means that they have to start completely afresh on this like sonically they're not using the samples that they built or you know the noises that they'd created and that was you know a very very defining part of like the previous three records you know there's continuity Mm -hmm. yeah there was definite continuity and this on all levels feels like it's starting afresh but it, it feels sharper crisper I think they talked about this in interviews where they were trying to recreate the sound of what they'd lost at certain points, which is always a really fucking difficult thing yeah. to do. I think we know this. <laughs> when, when the thing stops recording and you have to... You have to re-record <laughs> a few sentences or even, like, we've done it for, like, half an hour before and you're like, yeah. shit, we're never going to get quite the same thing. You did a whole episode once when you were away. Yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> i tell you what, though. Um, see, one thing they did do, and uh, excuse my ignorance because I've obviously only heard it, a handful of times is it not at the end of Fear of a Black Planet that uh, they finish with what does the future hold for Public Enemy mm-hmm. and there's that kind of like it's almost like a bit of a tongue in cheek thing and then this starts with like a reprise to that doesn't mm-hmm. it like the first line of this that's whole far, the whole first song is like callbacks to earlier songs yeah, which is what I love right. about it because like they've got lyric, they've got lyrics and vocals all over this record from other albums mm-hmm. Which is yeah, and there's just, some sample of Bring the Noise in this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So they have sought to try and weave in a bit of that continuity mm. that was lost with like actual material samples that got lifted or got destroyed, whatever. I think that's probably one of the reasons why they'd handed over to the uh, Imperial Grand Ministers of Funk for most of the production and they were just sat as the executive producers because I can't remember, like, because I think, I'm pretty sure one of the quotes, I've got, I've got it here actually, um, once you lose all your data, it's very difficult to get that data back. You might get some of it back, but you'll never get the complete set. You don't even know what the complete set is because there's data on there you didn't even really know you had. We were on a roll, and to lose that material, just set, set them yeah, back Yeah, it's interesting. So it says we never really recovered after that. We were on a roll. I was on a roll, and to lose that material set me back so hard. So it's amazing that they could come back with this record, which to and me... And that time frame as well. And that time frame, yeah, yeah, exactly. In like a couple of months. 
they turned this around and like it's a fucking stand-up record it's you know really strong production wise lyrically everything and basically it sounds like they were trying to recreate something that they had before you know it's like a i don't know like a a challenge to them to it's just weird that an album could be so good when it's not what they envisaged at, mm. at all really and yeah. the next one music and me- next one music and message definitely sounds a lot more 90s like mm. of that of that place like you yeah. know nwa like you know have you heard that the most recent albums they just brought out a couple in quick succession no and they're very synthy no sympathy News fit for rhyme, BS fit to spit. The hate, the hate produced, swung up in a noose. Most in history pages. Like, this stuff now is quite different. I've listened to some of the later catalogue. It's not terrible. The last one I heard was How Do You Sell Soul? No claim, y'all know the goddamn name. Some got the rest of the planet to fill us, damn it. Substance over style, that's right, we on exile. The more heads from strong out of felt, no love could look now. But damn sure felt. Yeah, which is actually pretty good. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's all got good moments on it, although none of it's close to as consistent as this. Mm-hmm. And the most recent stuff's actually got into like quite sort of synthy, complex sort of electronic production in the background. It's it's quite different in vibe. Uh, not being a huge invested fan of them, I'm not too upset about it. But I'd imagine some people probably are a bit. Yeah been a long time I mean you'd have to reinvent your sound because you couldn't start even if, even if you still had the bomb squad and you, if you sounded like this now it would make you a lot less relevant than you could possibly be I think because the weapons are just blunt at this point you know what I mean they'd mm-hmm. be really blunt by this point I think anyway people have been ripping you off for like 25 years it's kind of yeah. hard to reclaim that we've had that crop up before as a yeah. theme so anyway we're uh, after this is rebirth which is basically a short segue when I get down I give a door around and when I cough, I do my best to cut it off. I don't claim to be a preacher, and I paid to be a teacher, but I'm grown. I try to be a leader to the bone. Never could follow a man with a bottle. He's a baby with a beard and not a fierce role model. And everywhere I get it. Almost, but it's got a lyric in it. The KKK one three-piece suits. Yep. Which is a banger. Yeah, it's a t-shirt waiting to happen. Yeah. I wonder if it is a t-shirt. <laughs> and then there's Night Train. Um, I think a lot of the time, man, Flavor Flav, Flav, <laughs> Flav, he can be, I think in the first couple of records, he can be quite annoying. I don't know if you guys find that. Well, I think this is, from what I understand, from talking to people about this and kind of gathering opinions, this is his weakest performance up until this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's not a good album for his tracks. He was still a big presence live, but in the studio, he wasn't performing. And it, a lot of people attribute that to all the other stuff that was going on in his life at the mm-hmm. time. All this shit he was getting up to mm-hmm. That's not said with any sympathy there But he brings it here, he does bring it here um, He's really effective as a hype man on this track And this is when the album starts to sound a lot more funky as well like There's a, a definitely huge funk vibe to Night Train Which I quite like, but it also feels quite raw But it's also interesting that this is like Maybe the beginning, lyrically Of, you know, Chuck D and Public Enemy Challenging what they see as like traitors um, You know, crack dealers and stuff like that mm. It's not just about, you know He's challenging people within the black community as well, um, which is part of this record and, you know, that sort of um, perspective, which is interesting. Fucking, I can never remember where I first heard it 
but I remember uh, like a 90s dance track that had a sample of James Brown, Night Train, and it, I always used to try and find it, but it's always just been stuck in my head that bit. Mm. Night Train! <laughs> but, uh, fucking great wee sample. And it's an old James Brown sample on the next song, can't trust it. Which makes it a lot more soulful, I think. It was also a single as well. Yeah, can't trust it. It's quite, you know, I, I like seeing it as a, one of the highlights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The bass is so upfront in it as well. It sounds big, mm-hmm. really big. I think it was like their their biggest single. Um, maybe certainly off this record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it was like one one of the biggest in the US charts anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, talking about Flav, um, <laughs> he's always been like the comic relief because I think. I can understand why he's there because I think if you had a whole record of just Chuck D, you would probably go mad. Yeah, yeah. Because it's dense, and, and he's got his. But first... it's like an element that like NWA didn't have. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's that little bit of like party. Yeah. yeah, and he brings it to. I guess he does bring it to a much more street level as well, especially. Yeah, he does. The, yeah. He's like he's you know dead legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and he's quite legit. I think on Don't Be Called Your Nigger. What do you guys think of that? I thought it was good. Yeah. Um, it's a, an interesting concept. I don't think it's the tracks great. I think it's, I think it's probably hit one of his best tracks. Oh, you I think? Do? Yeah. I don't think it was a great track, but, but I, I don't think it was a great good, track. It's like but... a really interesting subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, interesting yeah. subject. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about the use of the N word mm-hmm. um, by rappers and you know within the scene and trying to sort of dilute in it, which is you know. Yeah, a lot of Even folk- now, you know, that's not a perspective you hear that often. Absolutely. And a lot of people were grappling with it at the time as well. Eddie Murphy did a lot of stuff in that as well. Um, I just, no, it, as, a, as a song, it doesn't really do that much for me. But it's I think too long as, as well. a message, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's too long. I think it's weird that he's the one delivering that message as well, given that his vibe in a couple of records has always been like... Good times. Know, good times. And also, you know, here's what I get up to on the street and, you know, basically being hustling. It's, I think it's really interesting that he brings that because it's obviously he's woke as well but he never really talks about it that much in the, in the music that he or the, the lyrics that he contributes to songs a lot of the time How to kill a radio consultant That's, I like it's it. a good title. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a good, good title as well. Yeah. And it's funny, like when you first listen to this, you're like, "Oh, it just sounds like they're angry that they're not getting played in the radio." But in actual fact, they're calling out black radio executives yeah. for not playing militant hip hop mm-hmm. <laughs> and rather just playing bass shit. So it's part of that theme in the album of the encouraging the black community to question itself as well as just you know rather than just pointing fingers out the way to actually examine its own behaviour and how it might be holding itself back. Mm. And as a as a white man looking in on that from the outside, that's a fascinating discussion to observe from a distance. Mm-hmm. It's one that that community can only really have constructively within itself because you can't go charging in over the top of that and say, oh, well, you know, and I'm sure a lot of guys try. You saw yeah. the Proud Boys outside Trump's rally this week. Yeah. A lot of people are out there trying from a white perspective, especially from the dominant cultural perspective, trying to say, oh, but, you know, it's all very well criticising us, but what about... That's most constructive when the community is 
doing it within itself mm-hmm. and you'll achieve the best results because everybody is sort of working towards a common goal. Um, I don't think it's something that's particularly well received when it's imposed. Yeah, I mean, Chuck said in an interview at this time when the figure came out, is like a lot of the rec- a lot of the stations that are playing their music are owned by white men, old white yeah, men. Of course, man. It's just, it's it's a similar narrative to the whole thing about empowered women in pop and that people deliberately, willfully ignoring the fact that these women are employed by a vast majority of white men, and it's the white men that are getting super rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a false economy to think that the money stops with you know Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's an employee. You know, and I think that's mm-hmm. a, it's a point that this makes really well. Uh, the Mandrill song, which is a hit by the time I get to Arizona, which we've spoken a little bit about. Mm-hmm. But musically, um, it's fucking great. The sample's it's like, great. It's so yeah. simple, sample's but like so builds good. and builds. And it's like, yeah, yeah production-wise, that's such yeah. a fucking great track. They've got the really distorted, blown-out bass on it as well, which gives it a total, like, deep kind of feel. Which is probably not on the original Mandrill song, I'd imagine. <laughs> um, it also brings the pace of the record right down, so this is like the end of side one of the yeah. album. Uh, and by the way, can I just say one criticism? I think this album should have been shorter. It should have been because see this this the first side of this record it is easily as consistent as anything else they've ever done. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's and the it, second side. And that that's it. the thing. It's like they've just got. I know they'd had sixteen, eighteen tracks on previous things, but they didn't need to do that. It's like you you could you could put out something incredibly densely excellent here and just keep it a bit shorter mm-hmm. rather than compromise on the overall quality by going for that extra running time and I think yeah. it should have been a bit more I think it should have been a bit more ruthless in that sense. I think you could argue that that seven song run is probably one of the greatest runs of songs I've ever had as well like in any other records because it is so it is so cohesive which the the second half of the record doesn't really have I think moves okay Um, it's it's quite still quite blunt and aggressive, mm-hmm. but it's probably a little bit too long. I think it's, it's fine. It's not a terrible song, but it's like oh, okay, I see where we're going now. We're kind of going down the hill. But then one million bottle bags is got a great message, and the chorus is so good on that song yeah, too. Yeah, really like chorus in that. you think Chris you're looking at me with funny eyes I'm trying to tactfully <laughs> continue yeah just sort of opt out of commentary because <laughs> I feel very underqualified at this point yeah I think Chuck D sounds pro- pro- uh, properly incensed in this song as well like he sounds fucking raging he often sounds raging but he sounds even more so because he it's like you said with the black dynamite I think Chris like he sees the manipulation from that from the advertising community on like getting getting the black community drunk yeah, you know, and taking advantage of their, their poverty. Yeah, it, well, exactly. It's as simple as that. Yeah, now we let's be honest, man. In Scotland, in Glasgow, especially, that's absolutely an issue. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the racial component here, but it's absolutely an issue. Scotland's notoriously been, and Glasgow especially, has been quite uh, poverty stricken in comparison to certain other areas. And Scotland's infamous for its drinking problems, and ad- advertising for alcohol is everywhere. Here. Yeah. It is a big, big part of our culture, and yeah, okay, we're we're not 
black, we're not members of the black community and it certainly was more cynical the way it was focused on them within the context of a wider community. Yeah. But, uh, you know, from, from a class... In terms of a class perspective, yeah, it's, you know... exactly. You see it. Um, I saw it a lot growing up. But it's, also, it's interesting that it's basically the same drink as well in that it's malt liquor, you know, big bottles of malt liquor, which is just high alcohol lager. Yeah. Um, just and, high you know, quality 45, well. ex, yeah. et cetera, over there. And then over here, it's, you know, super tenants and all these things. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and yeah. the bulk as well, because it is that thing. It's not, it's not, it's drinking in bulk. It's 40 ounces. It's yeah. big fuck off portions of booze, which is how we drink here as well. It's mm. not, you're not drinking that kind of Mediterranean way. You're drinking in this kind of, Northern European misery way where Excessive. you're just sh- you know throwing it down your neck. It's so I, d- I did relate to that. You know, it does it does it is transferable as a message uh, out with the context of the black community. Mm. More news at eleven. This is the most aged sounding of any song on the, this side of their career, I think. And it's another Flavor Flav song. <laughs> um, I'm just really glad we've adopted that, thank you. <laughs> uh, so I didn't really think much of it, to be honest, Dave, Chris. Yeah, and then it just, it's got its little callback at the end of mm. Don't Believe the Hype. But yeah, no, this is like one of the weaker tracks on the record, definitely. Yeah, and then Shut Them Down. After that, we could track. See, that's how it's Mm. you know it's inconsistent. They could have cut out a couple of tracks and still made a fucking great record. Because shut them down's a fucking banger. The outro was quite good too. A dark, funny outro, which I quite liked. And then we've got a letter to the New York Post. Yo, G. Now comes the time when we must address Flav's sins. Uh, I think this song is it's definitely not bias, unbiased. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think oh, it's a shame that Chuck D's on this song because he, I feel as though like he should know better. Yeah, he's condoning. I, I know that he hates. I know that he hates New York Post because yeah. they've always been quite. But he's kind of hating them for the wrong reason. Yeah, right now. Mm-hmm. you know, I think they were allowed to report on his. Uh, Domestic abuse. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I think. I don't know. I, we. I guess we're not seeing like the endemic commentary they have on the black community, right? Which which he would have been seen at that time and had been seen for ages. So yeah. his his I suppose Chuck D's anger is quite righteous. Yeah, and it's just sense. annoying that Flavis' anger has been brought by that. Yeah, yeah. it's a little bit naive as well, though, mm. because on one hand, Chuck D's lecturing to some extent the black community to be more self aware and more critical of its own conduct. So I think he's been a hypocrite there because he should be calling out calling his out mate, misbehavior. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and on the other hand of it, I think if you're being honest, any sort of domestic abuse scandals, you know, Sean Penn. Remember when he was seeing Madonna, and we all knew all about that. We all knew all about any number of you know issues of domestic violence. I think it's it's juicy tabloid gossip. I don't think it's realistic for him to say that this is part of some grand scheme by the New York Post mm-hmm. to misrepresent the black man. I think it's simply tabloid journalism picking up on 
controversy mm. and yeah okay maybe folk are like this is an edgy band but it would be the same if Liam Gallagher did it it would be the same if any musician with a slightly notorious reputation did it yeah. you'd be like oh there you go well, I see. mean we're talking we're, we're two days after Boris Johnson has just uh, had the police called to his house mm. um, because of raised voices and incredibly that has been politicised you know um, people trying to defend uh, Johnson and neighbours for calling off. Oh, well, we won't go into it, but yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, the fact that it that this is still a very live issue. Yeah, I do think like it's a, it's a it's poorly judged mm-hmm. because whatever he feels about this, the 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 agenda of the New York Post, flavor Flav mm-hmm. uh, was out of order. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, out of order. And, and you should just you should accept that. He says taking the chin. I don't know if he says in this or if he says in an interview afterwards. But I think it might be in the song where he says you should have came me for the full story. And I, I just I was thinking, if even if they came me for the full story, the full story still would have been, yeah. st- still would have been that you beat up your wife. <laughs> yeah, but also it would it would be by full story. It just means sort of qualifications and excuses, and it's like no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we don't need more of that. We don't need more obfuscation and and sort of weak justifications. So this song actually, I think, highlights um, Chuck D's um, one of his, his feelings. I think he's maybe not the best at um, being objective when it comes to some of this company of his band. Yeah. Professor Griff should have been out the door, mm-hmm. and he wasn't because he's still in the band. And Flavor Flav should have been. <laughs> this is not the first time he's done it. Do you know what I mean? And he's, he's had he's had instances, a lot of instances with substance abuse and alcohol abuse as well. You know, and you stick by your friends, yeah. I guess. But you know, I mean, how good a friend are you being if you you won't actually tell them? Yeah. And then get the fuck out of here, Dodge, which is fine. Yeah, ah, I quite like the beat. It's got the Sly and the Family Stone sample. It's, yeah. it's a good, solid hip hop tune. It's, it's quite chill. I suppose it's technically the end of the album because after that you've got the Anthrax version of Bring a Noise, which mm. is on this record, but I don't know why. Which I really like. It is officially yeah. part of this album. <laughs> is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it? I it's thought it was like, just chucked on because I'm pretty sure they did it before this record came out, did they not? I don't know, but it's on every official track listing. I think yeah. when you bought this on vinyl or CD in 1991, this was on it. Mm-hmm. It was a 14 track record, yeah. I think it's. I don't know. I don't That's think we need it. That's a good fucking tune. I, I don't I, think we need it. It's brilliant. I think it's a great tune. Scott Ian rapping on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Public Enemy are just like, yeah, we we are much more metal than Run DMC. And yeah, we spoke about Aerosmith, it in um, Judgment know? Night uh, mixtape uh, or the the f- movie flop mixtape when I was talking about Judgment Night. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pioneering. It was. Yeah. I could they would have been the first band to properly do this, right? One of the first bands. Well, certainly to do it to any good effect. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good example of it. It works. It's nicely balanced. It's you know people had tried it, but you know to varying degrees of success. It's heavier than I remember as well. The song was heavier than I remember yeah. it being, which is cool. That's cool. I like it. Uh, so that is Apocalypse '91. By the way, Black. isn't it fascinating that so many of the issues addressed in this album are still so fucking yeah, relevant, crudely relevant. I mean, yeah, okay. Definitely things have improved. Definitely people are more aware and mindful. But 
you know, I mean, even like was it this week, the debate in the States about uh, taking Andrew Jackson off the $20 bill and replacing him with Harriet Tubman. The fact that that's now been kicked down the road uh, till Trump's out of office because he doesn't want to be seen to do it, despite mm-hmm. the fact that Andrew Jackson was a slave owner, despite the fact that uh, Andrew Jackson sent the Native Americans on that, the Trail of Tears, which... They're all fucking slave owners, thousands man. Thousands of them <laughs> died. Like, despite that, there's some controversy about the fact that you'd put this hero mm. in Harriet Tubman, uh, you know, one of the people that organised Underground Railroad, uh, in place of this guy who was notoriously an arsehole. You know, Andrew Jackson yeah. once beat a guy with a stick outside the White House while he was the president, like, beat him on the ground, seriously. Or was that in Congress, in fact? I can't remember. Anyway, he was like the, the the biggest dickhead, and yet there's still some sort of. But he was president, Christopher. <sighs> I suppose that's true. They can't. You know, they can't possibly. They've be. got to be yeah. held up to such a high Standard. inscrutable standard. Yeah, so that's you know. true. It's a sad thing that uh, Public Enemy aren't a much aren't on a major label at this point in time. I think they're relevant. You mean right now, or you mean when this uh, album? That's right, right now. At this, right po- now. this moment in time. Yeah, I mean, Prophets of Doom are. Doing Prophets things. of rage. Prophets of rage, whatever. <laughs> right, yeah, you know. But they're, they're, they're shite, though. Yeah, I know. They're just not... It's not they're not relevant. I know, but the fact is... It's a novelty, is, isn't it? Yeah. Public Enemy were such a vital and relevant force. Um, and so were Rage Against the Machine, to some extent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but they're neither. And Cypress Hill to the weed community. <laughs> <laughs> um, that makes sense, because Be Real is obviously... He's a Latino, isn't he? So, yeah. like, there's a good, there's like a, a good mixing pot of people in that band with, like, vested interests and... and for the yeah, they're all right you know? on, but I mean, they're just mm. none of them are artistically in their, you know, exciting place right now. So yeah. I think it's like a tourism thing, isn't it? It's just it's a it's it's a novelty tour to generate money and sort of have a good time. I don't think it's really looking to write the world. Well, they, re- yeah. they released an album last year and it was dog shit. And they're going to do another <laughs> one like very soon. Yeah, so. I know, but they're just they're doing it to have a nice time and make some. Yeah, they're having a nice time, and job. they're all you know woke progressive guys so they're not going to sing yeah. about shit stuff they're also not on a major know, label but um, they're also what they're not on a major label oh well oh, but, but yeah it's pretty stupid but there yeah. is you know there is interest in progressive hip hop coming out right now and progressive music of all sorts I don't think there's anything quite as overtly political as this and as aggressive that's you know anywhere near the mainstream but I think that's not to do with the lack of music coming out that's to do with the mainstream is much more Guarded against anything like this, you know mm. the the safety checks are in place. But I think for also the the product will be safe no matter what it is. Rap now. and hip hop's been sterilized to such an extent anyway that it's no longer an expectation that it does anything challenging. Well, I mean, there is a lot of good challenge in hip hop, but I think it's more to do with. I think the parameters have shifted a lot, man. I think if we're, I know, I mean, it's much wider. Hip hop is now such a vast genre; you can get it. Anything from, you know, like, post-doom sludge hip-hop to, you know, fucking K-pop hip-hop. It's such a all-encompassing True, genre but, now. I mean, that- say, say we're talking about something like Kendrick Lamar or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the optimum act to get on, you know, Saturday Night Live or something now. You're not talking about an act that TV shows are scared of getting on. You're not talking about uh, something genuinely bothersome to yeah. to the to the to the establishment you're talking about even the most woke stuff is like primetime american although yeah music. interestingly it might be british hip hop grime 
that is the more edgy, uh, progressive and, and edgy and, stuff. And you look at uh, stuff like Slow Tie and even Stormzy is actually yeah, you know, so calling stuff, people stuff out. that makes executives sort of like be like, oh, I don't know if we want him on the show, that yeah. kind of thing. You know, where is that? Yeah. I think so, um, I just want something I thought I'd to add about public enemies. Obviously, they were com- they were kind of around the same time as NWA, right? NWA is probably a, a, a lot more um, sort of accurate depiction of what it would be like to be a black person uh, at that time. But I still think that for me, when I listen to the two of them, this is the one that actually makes me like kind of feel as though I can maybe somewhat understand. Speaking well, as yeah, uh, as a white man, black man, yeah. <laughs> born you know I mean? in like, New York in nineteen seventy two, I can see I can like. I don't know, I guess like, the content of it makes me understand, makes me like, can I get some kind of appreciation, not appreciation, but... Yeah, but I think I think if you consider that as much as this is a race issue, it's mm-hmm. also a class issue. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the racial part of that mm-hmm. coincides so heavily with, with African-Americans. But I think as working class people, certainly as I was talking about with the drinking thing, like growing up, I very much relate to that message. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not black and I'm not an oppressed minority at all, but um, I'm from the poor end of the economic spectrum and a lot of these messages have relevance in that sense and you can only really take out of it what applies and then just acknowledge and maybe learn and try and appreciate the other stuff whilst not making any claims in it for your your own grievance yeah Mm. so what do we think is this the public enemy record that gets in i think it's a decent shout i'm curious as to whether or not it's more interesting than your bum russia show which we didn't really speak about but that's which is quite primitive but also Wow, just like out of nowhere, like yeah. a really a, a amazing statement, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably say yes for this one, but I do think that that's probably got merits and is certainly the only other challenger given that the two in between were so huge. Well, we spoke about this, didn't we? Because mm-hmm. I, I was asking Dave what kind of public, what public enemy record we should do, and he was like, it could be your bum rush show, it could be this. And I'm still torn, to be honest, because I think your bum rush show is a lot more consistent as, as, a, as an overall album. But it's just not the fully realised sound of the band yet. And I, th- totally. I think if we're going to put... But then again, that's going to be the subject of next week's as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's true. Yeah, we've basically chosen the bum rush, the show of Southern white State rock. White Metal <laughs> yeah. next week. So, what, yeah. do you, what do you think? I I think this. I, I, I like listening to this record more. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something... I'm quite happy that it's a little bit sharper, a little bit decluttered. Um, I, yeah, I... Oh yeah, I mean, in terms I, of personal preference, I definitely go with this. I'm just yeah. trying to be a, sort of weigh that against objectivity. Mm-hmm. Um, we should do our next eye. Mm-hmm. It's next eye time. Yeah. The, this is the first time we're seeing Nexus tonight. Will it be the last? What do they have in store this, this for us? Not good for- You lead. Yep. Uh, now, we chose from the hat of suggested next eye names we did. last week, and I do believe it was Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky, correct? yeah. And can you remember the name of the person that nominated it? Ollie Colson. Okay. Well done, Ollie Canada. Colson. Right. So, I, 
I've I kind of have two. Okay, cool. Right, I'll go first because mine's is quite short. Um, I found a I found a surprisingly quick link, which I was not expecting. So By I'm the way, Wayne Gretzky plays play. hockey. He's a famous Canadian hockey player. He was and like coach. Canadian athlete of the decade yeah. in the eighties and the nineties. I think yeah. he's one of very few NHL players to have been immediately inducted into the Hall of Fame as soon as he retired. Yeah, he was like the mm-hmm. the Michael Jordan of ice. Yeah, more <laughs> or less. Yeah, the Paul yeah. Gascoigne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> so after his playing career, Wayne Gretzky. Uh, as now a head coach, he's now a coach, uh, mm-hmm. and he was once a head coach for the Phoenix Coyotes. Wait, whoa, you're going the wrong way. I'm going the right. No, you, you need to go from the band. Go from the band. Oh, you did this exact same thing <laughs> last time. Okay, okay, okay. So, Public Enemy has uh, has two main vocalists, yep. as you may have heard. One, one Mister Chuck D, and the other Flavor Flav. Stuck it again, And uh, he on May the tenth, two thousand and ten, he hosted WWE Raw. Big f- flavor did, yeah, of course he did, and uh, that also happened to be the same year as WrestleMania twenty six. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania twenty six, the location was in the University of Ariz- University of Phoenix Stadium in Arizona, uh-huh. and it was the location was accidentally revealed by Mister Wayne Gretzky, who wore a WrestleMania twenty six t shirt <laughs> when he was doing an interview in a Swedish newspaper. Oh well, there so, you are. That's pretty quick. I liked it though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want me to go? I don't mind. So, I mean, so Chuck D, obviously, uh, the other vocal member of <laughs> uh, the Enemy. Um, now, at one point, he uh, Chuck D duetted with uh, Meatloaf on, <laughs> meat, on Meatloaf's record, uh, Hell in a Handbasket. Holy shit. Oh, I didn't know this. <laughs> uh, Meatloaf. Um, wow. I mean, classic rock star, but also film star. Fight Club. Uh, featured in his name's Bob Bob's got bitch tits exactly <laughs> uh, Fight Club. he was also in The 51st State if you remember that yeah but yeah most well known film wise for appearing in uh, David Fincher's Fight Club with Brad Pitt Edward Norton I dispute that Helen Bonham Carter what? I think he's more famous for being in Rock Horror Picture Show uh, yeah maybe but he's I, yeah I suppose he's not really musical in that either he's actually just an actor yeah anyway. well there you go <laughs> Um, to a new generation he was brought in Fight Club along with Helena Bonham Carter Helena Bonham Carter uh, appeared in many Tim Burton movies along with Johnny <laughs> all Depp all of them I think <laughs> uh, one of which was Alice in Wonderland in 2010 alongside Anne Hathaway mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway has recently released I mean she's in some good films mm-hmm. but she's recently released two total stinkers uh, one of which is Serenity with Matthew McConaughey. I've heard this uh, interesting viewing. Yeah, and the other is The Hustle, um, which is a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, the 1988 film. Ah, yeah. Which is actually also a remake of Bedtime Story from 1964. But anyway, The Hustle, starring Anne Hathaway, was directed by Chris Addison. Um, he of The Thick of It. Oh. Uh, he's also directed some Veeps, you know, through Armando Inucci and a couple of other records. Uh, films but um yeah he's gone and made this american comedy film and it's been totally shat on and <laughs> chris addison played oh, what was his character in the thick of it ollie ollie oliver reader and uh, i mean his character arc basically goes from being a little newbie to at the end of the thick of it he takes over from malcolm tucker basically director as, of communications as director of communications uh malcolm tucker as portrayed by Peter Capaldi, famously uh, based on Alistair Campbell 
uh, or you know parts of it yeah. based on Alistair Campbell the, it was also uh, Ari Gould I think was the other inspiration yeah mm. um, so Alistair Campbell the original Spin Doctor apart from the Spin Doctors <laughs> great song <laughs> and I mean he's had quite a legacy what would you say his main legacy is Chris I would say his main legacy is the Iraq War. Ah, well, Wayne Gretzky in 2003 said, the, president's of, the President of the United States is a great leader. I happen to think he's a wonderful man, and if he believes in what he's doing in Iraq is right, I back him 100%. So, I mean, that's a bit of a jump no, right there. No, what I've gone from <laughs> the is Iraq Alistair, War is Alistair Campbell <laughs> to the Iraq War. He basically started David. it with his 45-minute dossier. David. And then Wayne Gretzky fully supported the Iraq War. <laughs> All mean, right, you've got better than that. But, I mean, come on, that was a fun ride. I like it. There's some really good points, but that was... I feel like that last jump is... Inadmissible. Yeah, it's pretty much us saying I was alive. Did you when expect? The Iraq war did you expect Wayne Gretzky to hundred percent back the Iraq War? Yeah. Uh, oh well. <laughs> I think a lot of American sports people did. He's Canadian. Ah, oh, so right enough. Well, that changed everything. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Public Enemy collaborated with Ice Cube uh, for the track "Burn Hollywood Burn" on "Fear of a Black Planet." They did mm-hmm. a lot of stuff with Ice Cube. The Bomb Squad produced. Uh, his record after NWA as well, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, going down Route A, uh, Route A Ice Cube appeared in the film Anaconda in 1997. We oh, sure did. What a, what a fucking <laughs> film that is. <laughs> and it, it must be the only film where the black character doesn't die. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anaconda 3, uh, o- The Offspring, or Anaconda 3 Offspring, whatever, the second sequel, stars David Hasselhoff. David of Hass- course it does. <laughs> David Hasselhoff made a cameo appearance in legendary American soap opera The Young and the Restless, which was like the, the kind of, which was related to The Bold and the Beautiful, but which is also the sort of inspiration behind all those kind of like Joey from Friends cliches and like All My Circuits from Futurama mm. and stuff. It was one of those crazy, hammy, over the top shows where in one show for example one character was played by three different women in the year because they just kept falling out with the actresses and stuff (laughs) anyway uh, Wayne Gretzky also made a cameo on that show in 1981 nice Um, going down route B still an ice cube uh, ice cube uh, appeared in the movie Torque which is basically Fast and Furious on motorbikes Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think he appeared in it he was involved in it somehow Uh, anyway uh, the soundtrack to Torque featured Kid Rock Drowning Pool. It was just like this horrible, yeah, like metal man rock thing. Yeah, but it also featured the wonderful Nickelback. The wonderful Nickelback. <laughs> and uh, Wayne Gretzky uh, was in the video for the Nickelback song "Rockstar." Was there? There was a one link between Nickelback and Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. I feel like there's a one person link between all Canadians. <laughs> even though it's the second largest country in the world. But so there you have it. Excellent. Great work. Thanks, guys. Yep. Um, so that was the Nexus. That was Public Enemy. Go, go, I think go we, for should, it, please. we should probably vote yes for yeah, Public so. 91. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of teasers there it's as well. So we might as well just like, put people out their misery with next week because we dropped so many hints there. Oh, yeah. So your, your choice. I've gone for some heavy metal. It's been a while since we've done some heavy metal mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't really get heavier than Remission by Mastodon. Uh, and yeah, their debut album. And I suppose we might talk about the parallels of the... Mastodon's discography compared to Public Enemies because we like to link things up. I would just like to say that when this ep- when the Mastodon episode goes out, I will be in Atlanta, where they are from. Yes, indeed, so, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, 
we drew the Nexus uh, subject and this week's lucky winner is Jen Hogan with the novel choice of Lorena Bobbitt. Lorena Bobbitt. If you don't know the name, go and look it up. We'll talk about her next week along with Mastodon. Uh, Thanks Mm -hmm. for listening. Peace out. Peace. Bye.